Michigan State has a new five-star coming into next year's class. It's an old name, Jeremy Fears, but he just got his fifth star. And we also have his high school basketball coach, Jeremy Krieger, on to tell us all about his game. And then at the end of the show, we take a dive into the mailbag. But let me tell you why Purdue is really annoying me. All right, let's go. You are Locked On Spartans, your daily podcast on the Michigan State Spartans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Spartan friends, Spartan family, Locked On Spartans listeners, thank you so much for kicking off your day with us here on the Locked On Podcast Network. That's right, your team in green and white five days a week. And speaking of the number five, that's right, let's just get right into the show here. Uh, before the weekend started, Jeremy Fears, that's right, the floor general, as he is nicknamed, gold medal winner from over the summer, and guy just having a great season down in Illinois at West Joliet, he got his fifth star. And that is a long time coming because, well, any clip that you see about him, any press clipping that you read about him, this six foot one point guard seems like the real deal. And he looks to be the next in a long line of Michigan State point guards that have done nothing but great things in East Lansing. So, right now on the 24 7 Sports Composite, yes, they combine a bunch of recruiting rankings uh, from like On3, Rivals, ESPN, of course, their own 24 7 Sports. Jeremy Fears is now number 24 in the country, the fifth-rated point guard in the nation. And there was also some movement, too, with the other three guys in Michigan State's top three-rated class. Uh, Xavier Booker slid back down a little bit. He is still top 10 in the nation. Still a kid that you want on your team. Uh, he is number 8 overall now. And then Cohen Carr, he's at 52. And then Garrick Norman sitting right outside of the top 100 at 102nd in the nation. Now, if you'd remember a few weeks ago, or if you missed it, we'll remind you that all four of these guys are finalists for the McDonald's All-American game, which will actually be announced very shortly. I believe it's Tuesday. Heck, by the time you're listening to this, it may have already been um, released who was on the McDonald's All-American team. But yes, all four guys, great recruits. Now we're just seeing a bump in some of these guys' rankings here. So, hey, there we have it. Uh, that is your update for basketball recruiting. Now, enough of me. Enough of a guy that's just watching clips and reading stuff about Jeremy Fears. Let's talk about a guy that actually watches him and coaches him every single day with Jeremy Krieger. I could ramble on and on about five-star Jeremy Fierce, tell you what he's good at, what he's not good at, but really, what good does that do? Let's get a man who truly, truly knows about this kid. We're talking West Joliet head coach Jeremy Krieger. Coach, how on earth are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us today. Doing well. Chilly day out here in, in Joliet, but uh, doing well. I hear you. So, hey, newly minted five-star. Um, I'm you know, assuming that you think that he's well-deserving of this title here. But before we start talking about Jeremy and going into his game, how long have you known him for? So it actually goes back to his father and I. So we played high school basketball together back gotcha. in the early 2000s. So from 2002 to 2004, he and I were actually backcourt teammates. So we played high school basketball together, went our separate ways. I went into college to play basketball and football. He strictly played basketball. Had an outstanding career at Ohio University. Um, got to match up against Rajon Rondo, took them to the tournament, and then he ended up finishing at a Division II school in South Carolina and played professionally in Europe for about nine or ten years. Gotcha. Um, fast forward about five, six years ago, um, they moved back in the area, and Jeremy was preparing to come to high school, 
and I was preparing to interview for the job at the high school we graduated from. And then that's when Jeremy and I met essentially early midway through his eighth grade year. Okay. And could you tell immediately like, Oh yeah, like this, this kid is it, or has it been kind of a gradual build up to who he is as a senior right now? So it's actually twofold. So from a basketball standpoint, he was not it. So in terms of his technical basketball abilities, they weren't present. I mean, he, he could handle the basketball, but it was all the things why coach Izzo and his staff and why everybody is so excited. It was the intangible thing. So from a young age, he was a natural leader, well-spoken, really good communicator. Mm-hmm. He loved to take charges. Um, the best part of his game was his defense. So it was like, it was odd, both me as a young coach to observe a player love doing everything that coaches loved. And he wasn't caught up in the sort of like the five-star recognition per se. Gotcha. Gotcha. What is just he meant for, you know, your team and, and your program so far? I know that's as broad of a question as I could possibly ask, but like what has he meant for you guys so far this season? I think it's so far beyond what he means for our program. It's what he means for our community. I think okay. one of the things that is lost on Jeremy's journey and his trajectory is that he started out at Joliet as a freshman. We were 29 and four, two games away from the state finals and COVID stopped our season. So COVID allowed him a path to Lalamere and the coaching staff there and the stage he was on helped build most of his resume. But in between those times, he and I remained connected in terms of off-season and in-season training during Christmas and Thanksgiving break. And then him coming home is just about our city. It's about Joliet. We've never had a player of his magnitude, especially in the days of social media, So beyond just being the floor general and the leader of our team and the best player in the state, I think it speaks volumes to him choosing to blaze his own trail and leave that stage to come play for what some people would just call a public high school. Right on. And yeah, obviously, hey, he's the complete package. I mean, you're not rated a five-star out of accident. You know, great defender, good vision, offense is all there. But what I've noticed on Twitter especially, I feel like every other week, across the timeline pops up like, oh, Jeremy Fears has big second half to lead West Joliet or has monster fourth quarter. Like, it seems like he has that killer instinct. First of all, is is that correct or am I just reading things wrong? And two, has he always had this killer instinct or is this something that's been coming out late in his high school career? He's always had the killer instinct and he's always been the most confident player on the floor regardless of where we're playing and regardless of his age. I think what people are recognizing now is his killer instinct has developed into an offensive mindset. So one of the biggest worries people have had during his recruitment, and even now that he was announced going to Michigan State, was the jump shot. So people are going to play drop coverage. They're going to go under ball screens. Can Michigan State thrive if Jeremy and AJ are still there with what you would call two non-shooting lead guards? And what people are seeing now is the time he puts in both before school, during practice, and after school is coming to fruition. He trusts his jump shot. So like any prolific scorer, He's scoring at multiple levels, but not only that, he's getting himself to the free throw line. So that's why you see these second halves of 18 to 20 plus points with four or five made threes and five or six trips to the free throw line. We are going to be back with Jeremy Krieger in a hot segment first. That's right, FanDuel, new friend of the program. We're here to talk your ear off about the best sports book in America because, hey, NFL playoffs are here, and we are excited about our new sports betting partner for the Locked On Network because, like I said, they are the number one sports book in America. It's FanDuel. 
And if you are new to FanDuel, well, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers, maybe like yourself, join today and get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's right, FanDuel.com slash locked on. How easy is that? FanDuel is all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. I mean, hey, if you want a little uh, insight here or just a bet to fade, I like under 45 and a half in 49ers versus Eagles this upcoming week. And hey, if you want to fade that, go for it. If you want to check out all the other lines, FanDuel has got you covered top to bottom. All in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You get paid out so fast on this app, by the way. So football fans, do not miss out. Place your first $5 bet and get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. And if I could have you put your coaching hat really on tightly, what does he still have to improve on? That's right. Let's pick apart the five-star kids game right now. What, uh, what do you want to see him improve on here? Oh, still his jump shot without a doubt. Okay. Like he's shooting, he's shooting it more efficiently from an advanced stat standpoint, but mm-hmm. just in terms of his comfortability shooting and making shots, because as you know, the big 10 is rugged. So the size he's yeah. going to face, the coverages he's going to face and the length he's going to face, at the Division One high major level, especially game one, we already know he's playing Duke. So the cumulative length on the wing is going to bother his shot unless we continue to work on it through the season and even in the offseason before he arrives in East Lansing for a summer session in June. Has that been his biggest improvement, though? Because obviously, you know, still a ways to go. But just like you've said, you know, he has made great strides. Is that his biggest improvement over the last year or two years? Or is there really something different about his game that you've seen him improve on? I think number one, it's trusting himself and that he is a proven shooter. But I think also understanding the time it really takes to become as great as he aspires to be and reach the levels he wants to reach. If you want to be an all big 10 performer and one day be an NBA player, I think sometimes amongst his peer group can be lost on the stars and the rankings and the gold medals that you Mm -hmm. still have to work to get better. So I think the biggest thing that he has recognized is the work he still has to put in, but also how many other kids are working and every day um, there's just improvements to be made. And just like every other college program, I mean, it's no different at Michigan state where the point guard is known as the leader of the team. I mean, cut for decades has been like that under Izzo. So what kind of a leader is Jeremy? Is he a guy that talks a lot? Is he like almost a coach on the court, gets in players grills or is a lead by example? What is he like out there as a leader? All the above. And in all the conversations I've had with Coach Izzo or Coach Monty or Coach TK, they understand that. And that's why they love him so much. It's Jeremy, if he wanted to, could come in and positively affect a high major basketball game without ever taking a shot. Now, while that's not liked in today's landscape of basketball, um, that's what he will be admired for from day one. He's going to talk in the weight room. He's going to talk in film session. He's going to talk during timeouts. And it's almost sometimes where he's talking too much or he's He's too intelligent for his own good, but it challenges you from a coaching perspective in a positive and respectful way, just because his IQ is so high. So he's going to lead by example. He's going to be leading by voice. And again, his IQ and ability to read a play before it even happens is what separates him from so many other high major prospects. He's not six, nine. He doesn't have a seven foot wingspan while he does leap. He's not a a 40 inch vertical guy. It's, it's all the intangible things. So he's almost like a, like a Pat Beverly, Jose Alvarado with an offensive 
array of talent that not many people have seen because when they saw him on those ESPN games or EYBL, he was a floor leader deferring yeah. to Brandon Miller and Nick Smith Jr. and J.J. Starling. Now he has it within himself to go get 25 at any moment. And just off the court too, like what kind of a kid is he like? Is he, you know, still talkative off the court or is he into anything else that you know of or what was he yeah, like? Yeah, he's of the utmost character. So one of the things I wrote in when you're doing these nominations for whether it's McDonald's All-American or Gatorade Player of the Year or Gatorade mm-hmm. State Player of the Year, they talk about, speak about something non-basketball related. So in my four or five years getting to know Jeremy, he's never been disliked by a peer, by a fellow student, by an athlete, by a teacher, by a coach. His smile literally brightens up a room and just the things he interacts with, whether it's our childhood development program, working with the young toddlers that come to school, mentoring young men of color to focus on the academic side of being a strong student athlete. I mean, that's him. And you guys are just going to love him when he gets there because you're going to see there's a rare time where he has a down moment and you don't see him as a vibrant young 17, 18 year old wanting to be a leader, but also just being when he walks in those squared lines, like you see a yeah. different side of him that's just like fierce. And you're like, man, he, he literally is two different people, but it's a beautiful thing to see from, from a young man. I was already excited to see him play next year, but yeah, after just this brief chat, I'm even more thrilled to see him in East Lansing. Um, and really quick, enough about Jeremy, you know, great kid, great basketball player. Let's talk about you though. Okay. How often did you run into Tom Izzo on the recruiting trail? And what were those meetings like with Izzo? I mean, you guys swapping stories? Are you guys like, what, what, what are those like just for a high school coach? Uh, yeah, so it was an interesting thing. So Michigan State was actually last to the party in terms okay. of like highly recruiting Jeremy. I think they needed to see and do their due diligence, obviously, from a Hall of Fame coach and a well-respected program that's won so much. So on the recruiting trail, Coach Izzo and I didn't see each other a lot. It was more the assistants, whether it was Coach DJ now at Western Michigan or it was yep. Coach Monty. So Coach Izzo and I's first time interacting was actually when Jeremy was on campus. So when okay. I got to meet Coach Izzo, we got to go to practice, and then we met in the film room, and that was our interaction. Since then, we've had wonderful phone conversations and exchanges. But in terms of for me, it was just you know respect, seeing a man who arrived at a campus so many years ago and is still – being successful, able to coach so many different generations of players. It's just something that I aspire to do within my community is be able to positively affect young men and women and adults over a long period of time, understanding how things evolve in the landscape that we do called coaching. Gotcha. And how was that practice? Did you take any tips away from him or did you think that, okay, I need to really ramp up my intensity to to get on this guy's level or. No, I I think from an intensity standpoint, um, we, we're level-headed. I think he swears gotcha. a little bit more than I do. <laughs> Maybe a little. Maybe a little. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, he's a fiery guy. I, what I loved about Coach Izzo is that he was able to navigate a practice from all angles of the floor and give the autonomy of the players and his assistants to lead practice simultaneously while being a host to us. And that just comes with the experience he has. But the thing that I took away from Coach Izzo was more – reaffirming what I do and that's relationships first. I think when you really can positively affect an individual or group of people, you understand that the care comes before the content and Izzo is a relationship guy. I mean, you can teach and talk X's and O's, but if the kids or the adults around you don't trust you for who you are, um, what you're trying to teach isn't going to mean anything. And that's what I've always believed as a young coach. And I'll always believe till the, the end of day. So that's what I took away from is just reaffirming the way I carry myself in a way that a guy's done it in a Hall of Fame career. 
There we go. Well, I, it also sounds like Jeremy is going for one great coach, you know, down at West Joliet to another great coach up in here in East Lansing. So Jeremy really can't thank you enough for your time here. Anything else you want to add about either Jeremy or, you know, the, the recruiting trail or anything else, any last thoughts to get off your chest here? Uh, not really. Just once again, thank you for the time and just yeah. want to reiterate the, the upstanding young man that you guys are going to receive here in the summer, everything he's been marketed as it's true plus more. And uh, just excited to watch him excel in the Big Ten and then very interested to see where his middle brother goes. Um, I know he's highly regarded across the country, whether it's the Pac-12, the SEC, the Big Ten. But it's interesting to see a family of brothers because they have a third brother as well who will be entering high school next year. Just see um, how the trajectory and how they project. It'll be an exciting thing to see. And I'm just I'm beneficial and lucky to have a family and a set of kids that trust me with their development when they can be anywhere else in the country nowadays. So I'm, I'm very thankful. That's true. Hey, from all accounts, seems like they, they picked a great guy to, to lead the way for them. So, Hey, thanks a lot, Jeremy. Really do appreciate it. And best of luck the rest of the season, man. Go get him out there. Thank you. You as well up in uh, Michigan state. You got it. And a huge thanks to Jeremy Krieger of West Joliet High School to talk about Jeremy Fears, uh, super generous with his time and obviously his knowledge on Michigan State's incoming point guard. So we're going to dive into the mailbag here in a quick second. Locked on Spartans at gmail.com. But first, I got a bone to pick with Purdue. And this is something that's been weighing on my mind. And I think I'm ready to hatch this take and get everyone else annoyed too. Because obviously, okay, it's just annoying that they're, you know, the front runners of the Big Ten. But they are ruining such a fun Big Ten title chase. If you're watching on YouTube, what I have in front of me is BartTorvik.com, their conference title chase simulations. And we'll get into that in a little bit. If you're listening to the podcast, I'll try to explain everything very easily, and they are easy numbers to explain. So, the dark shades of green that you're seeing is where Bart Torvik, after 50,000 simulations of the season... Expect all the Big Ten teams to end their conference season. As you can see, Purdue is far and away the favorite. This season may as well be over for the title chase. Uh, They predict Purdue to finish the Big Ten season at 17-3. However, you just saw that graphic. Or if you're listening to the podcast, hear what was behind that graphic. It is very similar to what we're seeing in the standings right now because right now in the standings, there are nine teams with either three or four losses. This is absolute bedlam behind Purdue, and I'm so sad and so salty and so annoyed that Purdue, just being as out of nowhere great of a team as they are, is ruining a 10-team chase for the Big Ten title. Now, the graphic I just showed you, that had Purdue with a 27.4% chance of going 17-3. and That is their most likely record per Bart Torvik. And behind them, okay, Rutgers, their most likely record, 13-7. and But still, we just saw Rutgers. I think that's a little weighted too high. I think they're more... Along the lines of the other nine teams, Bart Torvik has nine teams in the Big Ten with their most likely record being 10-10 and 10 in the conference. That's right. If Purdue just decided to skip to another conference in the middle of this year, we are looking at a 10-team race for the Big Ten title. And also, too, if you want to throw an 11th team in there, Maryland's uh, most likely projected record is 9-11. and 11, So they are right there as well. 
this could have been an 11-team chase for the Big Ten title, and we haven't seen three teams split a title since, well, 2020. Uh, Wisconsin, Maryland, and that's right, our Michigan State Spartans did it on that Cassius Winston senior night day. We have not seen four teams share a title since 1926. It's could have been Medlam. Could have been chaos, but here we are, just Purdue running away with it. So yeah, just had to share that gripe about Purdue before getting into the mailbag here. Locked on Spartans at gmail.com or someone slid in my Twitter DMs as well. That's right, Sheehan underscore sports. This is a gentleman by the name of Zach. And he asks, is it too late to add anybody at the center position through the portal? That's right. This is someone that's not really too thrilled with what's going on in the paint with Mati Sissoko. And he did send this, you know, before Jackson Kohler had his two-game blow-up. But he goes on to write, does that option even exist still? I know Izzo won't do that, but seems like his stubbornness may have cost him a Big Ten title and a deep run. Anyways, would love to hear anything on this on the next Lockdown. Sorry we took a while to answer this question, Zach, but the quick answer is no. That a player cannot just join the team right now in this semester and be ruled eligible immediately. Actually, across the the nation, Gonzaga just added a kid from the South Korean national team to the roster, but he won't be eligible to play till next year either. So we almost saw this play out in real time, but I mean, Zach also said the answer himself. You know, he's not kidding himself. Uh, Izzo would not do this even if it was an option. For two reasons. One, what what guys are really finding in the portal, right? If you weren't picked up in the portal in the offseason and you're still hanging around, odds are you're no good anyway. But also, number two, the, the reason Izzo didn't pick out anyone from the portal was not to harsh the chemistry of this team. And if he didn't want to do that in the offseason, could you imagine <laughs> what this would have done to the chemistry if he just added a guy in the middle of this season because he finally realized that, ah... This isn't really working out with the big men. Putting so much faith into Mati Sissoko. Really being cautious not to damage the psyche any further. Ooh, man, that would be quite the move to just do that in the middle of the season. Being like, eh, you know what, I'll take a mulligan here. Mati, sorry, go hit the bench or we're going to shave your minutes off a little bit because we just saw this guy laying around the transfer portal, so... No, just just like Zach said, Izzo wouldn't do it anyway, but yeah, legally, I'm almost positive with all my internet sleuthing and the example over in Gonzaga, I don't think it's even possible to begin with. So we are truly stuck with what we have, which, like we said, you know, Jackson Kohler coming along here, Carson Cooper, you know, definitely surprising people with how well he's advancing through his freshman year, so we're just going to make the most of it, dang it. There we go, and oh... That's right, we are not done talking about big men yet. Uh, Justin emails us, that's right, LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com, if I could shout that out really quickly. Uh, He writes in, how far can this team go if Matty continues playing, quote, just fine? He's never been a scorer, but he's also not a dominant rebounder and isn't a good shot blocker. Also goes on to say that in the Rutgers game, really had a hard time grabbing rebounds, and Lord knows that's uh, an understatement. 18 rebounds on the offensive glass for Rutgers. And, I, God, man, I really think that Mati Sissoko could benefit from receiver gloves or pine tar or whatever. But that's beside the question. Let's get into Justin's question here. How far can Michigan State go? And everyone's going to have their own opinion. But here's mine if you're still listening this late in the podcast. Uh, with Malik out, 
okay, it makes it pretty hard. And obviously, it wasn't hard at home against Rutgers. But, uh, yeah, it is hard to look at that game and not say, wow, that 54% shooting is not just beneficial, but also not something that can be sustained. You know, and also Michigan State benefited from having Jackson Kohler having a quite literal career night with his first double-double in a Spartan uniform. But you also need everyone to play solid around him if Mahdi doesn't have it going, which it's been clear that it has been a few games since he has had it going. Now, with Malik Hall, it's a little different. Yes, it's, it's pretty hairy with Malik Hall out. You're just trying to tread water until he gets back. You know, win the games you're supposed to. Okay, you're probably going to lose the games you're not supposed to win, like the road game at Indiana, but I digress. Tread water until Malik gets back because maybe this is crazy, and i got to be careful with how I'm saying this, but with Malik Hall back, it is a world of difference, right? Because you can do more of those small ball lineups. You know, those lineups where you have A.J. Hogard running the point, and then, okay, he's spread around with four guys that could shoot a three-pointer around him. And... Ah, here we go. You know what? I'm just going to say it. Like, I, with Malik Hall healthy, and again, who knows if he will ever be 100% or 90% the rest of the season. We know what havoc foot injuries can wreak in basketball. But if he is back in some strong fashion, like I, this is a team that I still believe can make a run in March. And that is for two reasons. One, the, the, the country is just wide open right now. I, it, it is a, a 28 horse race to the national title this year, I firmly believe. And Michigan State probably right at the end of being one of those teams. And the second reason is just because, well, look, like Michigan State with Malik Hall is solid. I mean, they have one of the best backcourts in the nation with A.J. Hogard, Tyson Walker, Aikens when he's feeling hot. You can deploy that lineup with A.J. Hogard and four three-point shooters around you. You do have the veteran leadership. I mean, it is really Harkening back to the days of 2015 when you had with Travis Trice, Denzel Valentine being a strong backcourt duo, veteran leadership. You have Brandon Dawson, a forward that was a veteran leader as well. You have Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogard. You have Joey Hauser as well, Malik Hall. And also good perimeter defense as well. Can you pull a Villanova with what they did last year and just play six guys the entire tournament? With Malik Hall back... I think you could form a six-man army that can get you to Houston. Am I pre- Now, am I predicting that Michigan State goes to the Final Four? No, I'm not. I would need to see the matchups and everything like that. But I'm saying, like, I don't think that this team's ceiling is just the Sweet 16 or the round of 32. I think with Malik Hall back, even with the centers playing as streaky, to put it nicely, as they have been, I, I think that they can make a run here. And maybe that's just me being a Michigan State slappy. I, I don't think so because, I, you know, quite honestly, I rarely ever put Michigan State in my Final Four when I make a bracket. And, you know, luckily I've been wrong eight of those times in Tom Izzo's tenure. But, yeah, I mean, I, I something just feels different about this team. Just the veteran leadership, the outside scoring, how good they do look with the small ball lineup, and just that tight-knit six-seven man rotation that you can do in March. Meets the eye well. So, yeah, we'll see. Even if uh, Mahdi isn't playing up to snuff and never gets back to that form that we saw on the aircraft carrier or the Champions Classic. So, there you have it, gang. Thank you so much for listening to Locked on Spartans, your team every single day. We'll be back tomorrow with the Graham Couch at Lance State Journal. But until then, love you all. Go Green.